0: Member FDIC. Sanders. I'm your host. Before we get into today's episode, a few things. First, we have a new email address. So if you have a question or a comment, or you just want to say hello, you can go ahead and send it to reverendpodcast at gmail.com. Reverendpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Second, you can subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, and it would mean a lot if you took the time to subscribe. We are on a number of platforms, probably more than I am I'm, I'm, I'm even aware of. So find your favorite and subscribe. Finally, can you do me a favor, please leave a rating or review on your podcast platform but especially on Apple Podcasts uh, slash iTunes. When you do that, it makes it a lot easier for others to find this podcast. So, now to today's topic. Maybe one of the biggest debates of the early 21st century is the debate about expanding marriage rights to include same-sex couples. From the minute that I got married to my husband in 2007, the fight for same-sex marriage went from theoretical to personal. Between the mid-aughts and 2015, religious conservatives and LGBTQ Americans fought over this decision, and it ended with the decision by the Supreme Court in favor of same-sex marriage nationwide in 2015. Now, you would have thought that that ruling would have ended the argument, but it didn't. The fight now has shifted to a battle between religious conservatives who want to be able to practice their faith and LGBTQ persons who want to express their newfound rights. The Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado has basically become the physical embodiment of the clash between religious liberty and same-sex marriage. So is there any way to bridge the gap? Reverend Marion Edmonds-Allen believes that there is a way, and it has taken place in the most uh, unusual of places, Utah. Yes, Utah, the land of Latter-day Saints, is considered one of the most conservative states in the nation, and you would think that that would be the last place to see any advances in LGBTQ rights, and yet it is one of the few places in America where the gay community and the religious community were able to come together and craft a compromise that balanced religious liberty with LGBTQ rights. So how in the world did this happen? Marion explains how the Utah Compromise came to be and how it could be a model for the rest of the nation in helping to protect same-sex marriage rights and the right of people to practice their faith. Marian is the head of Parity, a national organization that tries to bridge the religious LGBTQ gap. She was involved in the talks between um, Evangelicals, Latter-day Saints, and the gay community and, how, and tells about how those groups were not only able to just talk, but become friends and to continue to work to protect LGBTQ rights. So, Let's listen to Marion Edmonds Allen. Well, thank you for joining me on the, the podcast this morning.
1: Well, Dennis, it is my pleasure to be here. And it's a it's also a pleasure to meet you. I am a fan of your work.
0: Well, thank you so much. Well, why don't we start off by um, talking a little bit about um, who you are, and how you got involved in this?
1: Absolutely. So I am, I'm a LGBT pastor, mm-hmm. which generally when I say that people kind of recoil, you know, my LGBT friends are like, Oh no, you're, you're a faith person Eek. And my conserving friends, if they don't know that I'm LGBT, when I speak to a group, when I out myself as LGBT, it's the same kind of, ah, but like you, Dennis, I, the two, those two parts of my life are for me, they inform each other. I am a, a better person of faith because I'm LGBT,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I'm a more nuanced LGBT person because of my faith. So my, my work, I, I work for an organization called Parity, mm-hmm. which is based in New York, but I also live in Utah. Okay. Yeah. And I've lived here for several years. I came here to plant a church, mm-hmm. but was attracted to Utah because of the homeless youth population.
0: Okay, and somewhere along the way, that's um, probably in the last decade or so, especially as um, the same-sex marriage debate was moving forward, um, we saw a lot of of kind of clashing between those that were talking about um, religious liberty and obviously those who were wanting a. To expand marriage to include same-sex couples. Um, how did that play itself out in Utah? Because that seems, it seemed to play itself out very differently from other states um, in the nation.
1: It did. And Utah is such an interesting place. So I started running an LGBT youth center, and we had hundreds of youth that would come every week to our center. And one of the things that I noticed was that the youth didn't necessarily think a lot about their futures. Mm. They were, you know, it was kind of in the moment. But then when marriage equality happened, the youth suddenly were planning for, for their education because they wanted to get married and they wanted to have a family and i think that's that's indicative of how unique utah is because there's a tremendous a tremendous weight put upon family here and yet for lgbt folks you know we were told oh well you know that's not for you but actually there was all this momentum to bring it together and so when people started talking people who were you know very different from each other started having conversations about how could this work Then it very quickly snowballed to become something that they wanted to work on together. And then the broader community in Utah just grabbed right a hold of it. And it became a very popular thing. And now the state has completely changed as a result of it.
0: Which is is unique because I think a lot of people would say that Utah is probably one of the more conservative states in the nation. And yet it seems to also be... Far more ahead of the nation, especially on on LGBT rights, um, than a lot of other states. So it's an that, interesting combination.
1: It is, and it's it's counterintuitive. It's surprising when I when I speak with folks outside of Utah. And one day I was talking with with a gentleman who is high up in the church and high up in in politics in governance in Utah, and he's an LGBT not an advocate. He cares deeply about LGBT folks, and he works behind the scenes for LGBT equality. And I asked him, I said, you know, why do you why do you care about me? Why do you care about my family? Why do you care about this issue? And he said, well, Marion, I care because of my faith. And I think that's true in, in Utah, and we're seeing this around the country as well. People care about LGBT folks because of their faith and they want to be part of finding ways to work together.
0: Mm -hmm. So how did this compromise come about? What, what started it and what was it like to kind of hammer it out?
1: (laughs) Well, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a very fun story. Um, One of the originators of the Utah compromise is now the honorary grandfather of my youngest child who's Mm. who's transgender. Mm -hmm. So at at the time he was working behind the scenes for the government and and for, you know, people, people on the right. And he was approached by people by LGBT folks who said, could we just get in a room? Can we just start talking about this? And just talk about it and just see if we could become friends even. And so I, you know, I hear the stories that there was, you know, people were worried on both sides of that, but they just, they decided, okay, let's get together in a room and let's just talk. And that was the start of all of it. It was eight people, four on each side that came together, had a conversation and then conversations continued and they became good friends and they added more and more friends to the mix. And then they realized that, okay, we don't agree on everything but we do agree that we want people to flourish in Utah and let's see how we can figure that out. And then they did. It it took a few years, Mm -hmm. but they were successful with it.
0: Now it's actually unusual to hear folk, uh, especially on the LGBT side, actually say they want to be friends with people who in this case, I would would say mostly Latter-day Saint, but not, exclusively because normally you won't hear that um, there's actually a lot of animosity um, what brought about that sense of of wanting to to actually have relationships um, with people that they didn't agree with
1: you know I'm I'm really proud of my LGBT colleagues that initiated that because they were the one they were the ones that extended that hand first and said, can we please get together? But I think the reason they were able to do that is because their their Latter Day Saint friends, who would be friends, were had an had a receptive way about them. And Latter Day Saints, if you if you have any friends and colleagues or or have met any, are just lovely people, friendly people. So I think that that was part of it. I think the LGBT folks were like, okay. I think if we ask them, they'll say yes. And that's been my experience too. When I've been working on LGBT youth homelessness or suicide, I will go to my Latter-day Saint friends and I'll say, can you please help? This is what's going on in the world. And every single time they will say, yes, Marion, this is how we can help. We want to be there for these youth.
0: Well, how long did it take and, and, what was what were the discussions like? I mean, were you in, in included in these discussions or or did you come in at a later point?
1: I was on the periphery of mm-hmm. those the, those very central conversations. I, I was part of it, I think when we think about what happened in Utah, I think that every single person concerned with faith and LGBT had an important part to play because there were the folks in the room that were figuring out the details, but there were also the folks on the sidelines cheering them on and being there to answer questions, to just be very supportive with the effort. But I, my hat goes off to the folks who really hung in there, because, you know, some of those conversations were difficult, but they, they figured it out. And it continues to this day that the LGBT folks and people of faith are just go arm in arm and really work together to solve problems.
0: And what are some of the problems that together they've tackled um, since uh, marriage equality and, 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 and and religious liberty?
1: Well, my, my favorite story is around LGBT youth homelessness. When Mm -hmm. I was running the youth center I've found that the laws prohibited LGBT homeless youth from being sheltered. So Mm -hmm. in other words, when a youth would come to me and say, I've been kicked out. Here I am with my backpack. Where can I sleep tonight? I would have to say, I'm sorry. Legally, there's no place I can send you because an unaccompanied youth couldn't be sheltered anywhere. So I'd have to say, do you have a friend? Or here's a sleeping bag. So I was having protests. I mean, I, you know, I'm an activist, so I was doing all kinds of things and we were in the news, but nothing was changing until I met someone who became my friend, who is a Latter-day Saint Mm -hmm. and who's involved in the legislature. And I invited them to the center to meet some of the youth. And that was when things, things changed. This person, her name is Laura. Laura. She looked at what was happening. She met a 12-year-old homeless youth, and she said, oh, this is not okay. And she, well, the next week, a truck came with all these warm coats, for one, because she, she was like, okay, we need to get these kids warm, and we need to change this law. So that law changed. There were five laws in all to help LGBT homeless youth, and then we worked together on youth suicide prevention. So, And then lately it's been hate crimes legislation um, conversion therapy legislation for minors. So it continues. The, the government in Utah, the, and the, the faith folks are very receptive to whatever LGBT folks bring and say, okay, we really need to work on this now. And, and then we figure out ways to figure it out together.
0: One of the interesting things, especially is, um, obviously the, because of Utah being this, the state that it is, um, the GOP is the party that tends to be the most dominant party, and they have been really the a big partner um, in passing some of this legislation um, from the governor on down. Um, why do you think that the, the you know in other parts of the country that isn't the case, and and here, I mean, you have it. You know, these aren't necessarily quote unquote moderates. They're but. Um, even conservatives that are, are very strong and pushing this forward. Why do you think that that's different from other States?
1: I think it goes back to my colleague that said it's because of my faith mm. that they care about this. But also my personal opinion is that in, in Utah, most folks, most GOP folks are Latter-day Saints, not all, but mm-hmm. most, and they've experienced persecution in their lives in, in Utah. L- LDS is a dominant faith but that's not true in other states. Mm-hmm. So I think they understand what it feels like to to be marginalized and to and to feel as though wow you know perhaps I'm not understood all the way and people have preconceptions about who I am without even knowing me. And I think they they go the extra mile to really get to know people and to not think okay well this is a stereotype Another thing that Utah is wonderful at is accepting refugees.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So Utah is just wonderful that way. And Latter-day Saints are looking for people who are marginalized and excluded and saying, okay, how can we be helpful? And then, and then actually doing that, taking the steps to be helpful.
0: And I think, you know, we've talked about the the, the past and how that has happened, um, Let's talk a little bit about today. Um, you know, we're talking that some of these issues are still um, remaining there, you know, we always talk about, it seems, the um, Masterpiece Cake Shop in, in Colorado, that's been an issue. Um, you know, Even though, you know, now we've had marriage equality for about, it's hard to believe, about five or six years now, um, and here in Minnesota, where I live, it was, it's it been about seven. So that's when I got legally married. And, um, you know, we still have these issues where we're kind of, I don't know if you want to say figuring it out or fighting. Um, and now there has been legislation that's talked about this. And where is that at? I mean, do you see some type of a coming together Um you know, the Equality Act that has been put forth has been criticized as not being as very friendly towards um, religious liberty, but then there's this other, um, the Freedom For All Act, that seems to be on a a different, more friendly. Where are those bills at and where do you see us headed on on trying to balance these two um, important um, issues?
1: Well, <clears throat> I think right now we're at a standstill with both bills. It, I think I support the Equality Act, of course, as an LGBT person, I support the Equality Act, but I also came out in favor of the Fairness for All Act.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That, w- that was put forward by Chris Stewart, who's from Utah. And I read through the bill and I, I loved it. And as a person of faith, I believe it's very important to have religious freedom protections. And that's what the polling shows as well. That's what everyday Americans also agree that we need to protect LGBT equality. And we also need to protect religious freedom. So that's just kind of the, the reality of the world out, out there. But both bills are stalled. And I think that what, what is happening and what will continue to happen is that people on both sides and people in the center will try to figure out a way to build put the, put the best of both bills together Mm -hmm. and then move it forward. Okay. Because that's, that's what the American people want. They, they want LGBT protections and they want religious freedom protections and our legislators see this and I think they're going to make it happen.
0: What do you say for people who are very suspicious about Especially when it comes to, let's go back to the masterpiece um, cake shop. And they see that type of, if someone says, you know, this is where I'm at with my, my faith, and they see that more just as discrimination. And how do you tell them that someone's faith matters, that it's important? And how do we do that without threatening um, the rights of, of LGBT people?
1: It's, you know, I think it's a really difficult thing because when we read the headlines, we get a sense of it and then we react to it and we don't maybe necessarily understand all the circumstances that go into it. Mm -hmm. And as an LGBT person, I can feel outrage that, oh, well, I couldn't go in there and buy a cake. And that doesn't make sense because this is who I am. And just because someone's religious beliefs don't affirm me that, you know, But the thing that broke it open for me one day was when I spoke with an evangelical pastor that was a colleague of mine, and we were talking about masterpiece actually, and Mm. just I think we were both feeling kind of frustrated because I was saying, "Well, this is my identity, and you need to understand this. This is who I am." And he paused for a minute, and I could he I could tell he just he said, "Marion, my faith is my identity." Mm-hmm. And that took me aback because I I asked him what he meant and he explained it to me. And, you know, that's true for me as a faith person as well. I just hadn't thought about it that way. Who I am as personally, I'm a Christian. Who I am as, as a Christian is as deeply part of me as being LGBT. So being Christian is my identity as well. So then I started to think about it differently And I also started to think about what we did here in Utah with marriage equality. Some of the county clerks closed their offices rather than to give a marriage license to a couple like like me and my now wife. They just closed down. And that was a very real problem. We had hundreds of LGBT folks that would show up at the county clerk's offices demanding licenses. But the way we finally figured it out here was that if someone in the county clerk's office wasn't able to give the marriage license to a couple because of their religious beliefs, there was someone else in the office who could. In every single office, there was someone who was affirming and actually really excited for these couples that were getting married. So it turned into this beautiful solution. The person whose conscience wouldn't let them do it stepped to the side, just wasn't part of it, but then you had this really excited person saying, "Hooray, you're getting married! I'm so happy for you. Let me help you with your license." And it was this beautiful solution. And I think we can we can do that around the country.
0: Well, and that's what I was going to get at next. Is that do you think that this is something that can be replicated? Um, because I think right now, you know, one of the things that we always say is that how divided we are. And so can we do something that can help people kind of bridge the divide? Um, is that a possibility?
1: I think so. I, I think people are really tired of the divide and really tired of fighting. We've been living through this awful pandemic that and there's so many things that weigh us all down and we're tired of fighting. And we, we have good common sense. Most of us. And we can figure this out. And so I do see that this can be replicated around the country. I see that people want to work together and they want to figure out common sense solutions to things that aren't impossible to solve. We've we've solved it in Utah, of all places. It can happen in other places, too.
0: And do you see that happening? I mean, are there groups talking in other states that are trying to kind of move things forward?
1: Yes, yes, I see it happening all over the country, Um, most notably recently is in Arizona, Mm -hmm. where LGBT folks and faith folks have been working together to pass legislation. So I and and I'm hearing that from LGBT religious folks and equality leaders and people on all sides of this particular discussion are coming forward with solutions and they're finding each other and they're figuring out ways to put that together and make it work.
0: And do you see maybe in the next, I don't know, year or year and a half, that maybe one of these two um, bills will either move forward or that some kind of combined bill will move forward. Um, and I guess maybe I should back up a second and ask why think why are these two bills stalled? Um, is it, because there are other things in, that are kind of taking, going, moving ahead of it, or is it something else?
1: I think it's all of those things together. Um, the The Biden administration has a very ambitious agenda and is trying mm-hmm. to do a lot at once. So I, I think that's part of it. There are things I, ahead in the queue, but I think that also um, there's a lot of posturing on both sides. Like, oh well, you know, we're no, I'll never vote for that, and on, on both sides of it, but. I think that they do want to to work together to 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 pass something. I really do. Because people realize that in 2022, the things could change a lot in mm-hmm. Congress in such a way that neither of these bills or a combined bill could even see the light of day. So folks that care about that, about this issue, and that's 80% of folks, really want to see something happen. Before November 2022, and and get something passed. So, just me um, looking at what's going on in the world, I really think it'll be a combined bill. I think it'll be the best of fairness for all and the best of equality act that's brought together by well-meaning folks on on both sides. And I think it's going to be something that all of America will will cheer in one way or another because we'll have LGBT protections and we'll have religious freedom protections and we'll have a common sense solution. That'll be right for the country.
0: Well, talking a little bit about parity, can you tell me a little bit about what you do with this organization? (laughs) Sure.
1: Well, we um, broadly, we work at the intersection of LGBT and faith. And as you know, Dennis, from Mm -hmm. the work that you do in the world, that's a very, it's a broad, broad thing. It seems like, Oh, that's so narrow. But actually, it's really broad. It's it's working with homeless youth, it's working with families, it's working with schools, it's working with churches, obviously, and denominations. It's working on religious freedom, and, and I love all of it. I I love the people that I work with. It's it's work that I feel called to do.
0: And how has it kind of you know, as you made your way, especially within the LGBT community, um, have you been met with sometimes surprise? when you tell them kind of about what your work is all about?
1: Sure. Yeah. it You know, it's it's interesting. Um, I found it's the younger LGBT folks. And there's a, a recent Barna study out about this. You might have seen the Newsweek headline that so many young LGBT folks now are, are claiming faith. Mm-hmm. So the, the younger folks get it when I talk about, okay, you know, I, I work at LGBT and faith. And young folks are like, oh, wow, let's talk about that. Some of the older LGBT folks who've been so hurt by faith and by church over the years, and, and I, I really get that. That's been part of my journey as well. For some folks, it's such a source of pain that they just they just close the door on, on me and on the topic. But then I see towards the end of life, I work with folks, I, I've been a hospice chaplain for a while and, and working, mm. you know, setting up volunteer programs at the end of life lgbt folks want to revisit it again. So what I'm hoping to do what I'm working on is to try to find ways for lgbt folks to bring all of who they are, their spirituality, whatever that might mean for them, to just to just bring it and just look at it and talk about it together. And and it's a beautiful beautiful thing.
0: Mm. So where do you see things heading in the next few years, especially, I think, with um, kind of balancing religious equality and um, and marriage equality. Um, and I think I'm also fascinated, where do you see things happening, especially in places like evangelicalism, um, which I think is going through a lot of tumult um, right now? Do you see them kind of moving into, th- at least some of the some of that community moving more towards um, marriage equality and just greater acceptance of LGBT people.
1: Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of movement. Actually, I, a mm-hmm. lot of the work that I do is is with traditional faiths, and I, I get religious leaders who reach out to me every day saying, "You know, we are trying to figure this out. How can we honor our our theology, our traditions, and we have LGBT people, we have families with LGBT people in our pews. What can we do? Can we possibly bring both together? And my answer is always yes. You absolutely can live your theology and you can help the people in your pews to flourish. And let's figure that out together. Because if we think about traditional Christian theology, just to stay with evangelicalism, then then we, it's this focus on love, right? Mm-hmm. You know, God is love. Jesus said, love one another. How can we do that in a way where LGBT folks feel that love, regardless of whether they are allowed to preach or teach in a congregation? Mm-hmm. So we, we start with that baseline. And then what I'm seeing is that different congregations will want to move it a step further and say, okay, well, if LGBT folks aren't allowed to preach and teach, maybe they can be on on stage and they can offer a prayer. And so this continues to grow and grow and grow. There'll be some churches that never want that to happen, but there are others that are really moving towards affirming LGBT folks, Mm -hmm. and that's the right journey for them. So yes, I see it just getting better and better for faith and for LGBT. It's movement is happening right now.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've been following is how interesting I'm hearing more and more from um, leaders, especially on podcasts and other places, where they, they may not be at the point yet where they're totally affirming, but, you know, they are, you know, much more kind of condemning of things that are are basically hurtful towards LGBT persons. That they you may have not heard maybe five or ten years ago um, that there is this more greater acceptance at least of, of people's humanity, um, and and hopefully that's kind of a jumping off point from there. And it, to me, it seems like that's progress. That. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, I don't know if we would have even gotten to that point.
1: Absolutely, Dennis. Yeah, I've been seeing the same things. And I that's tremendously hopeful to me because even just changing the, the, the preaching on that, you know, 10 years ago, it was, you know, some of it was really awful. Yeah. It has changed. I mean, that's so rare now. The, the preaching is much more about, okay, let's, how can we love one another? How can we love our LGBT neighbor and family member? And that's what saves lives.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one example that I can think of is um, Russell Moore. Um, mm-hmm. And this was after the um, Pulse nightclub shootings and um, really just encouraging people to pray for people. Um, that this is not the time to talk about theology, this is a, about showing love. And I thought that, that was so impressive to to see that, um, especially at that, that time when, which was so fraught, um, that there was someone um, who you would not expect that was reaching out in a way that was, I think, at least trying to bridge bridge the gap.
1: Absolutely. And and those those words, they have such a ripple effect out there because parents and grandparents will see this religious leader saying loving things, and then that gives them permission to love their LGBT child and grandchild. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So what can, um, let's say in, in different states, people who might be interested in, in trying to Bring forth some type of legislation similar to what's been happening in Utah. What can they do? How do they, you know, how do people, um, probably more traditional faith persons, reach out to LGBT persons and 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 vice versa um, in finding ways of of just coming together? What would you advise? <laughs> well, my
1: favorite, <clears throat> advise, me, <clears throat> my favorite thing to advise. Excuse me. My favorite thing to advise. <clears throat> sorry, I've got a little frog. <laughs> My favorite thing to advise is for folks to make a friend that's very different from them. Mm-hmm. So to think about, so for me as an LGBT person, I can think, okay, who maybe doesn't have any experience with LGBT folks and I don't have any experience with them. I want to reach out and see if if we can have a conversation and maybe become friends. So that's something that we can all do, whether it's across of uh, faith perspectives or political perspectives or around LGBT issues, just making friends and talking about it for one. Another thing we can do is to reach out to an elected official and to just say, you know, I am really interested in this. I'm hearing that this has worked in Utah and people are talking about this in other States. Are we talking about this in our community, in our state? I think we should, can I have a conversation with you? That kind of thing goes a long way because it, it, it raises awareness of this. It's not this, oh, well, no one talks about it. It's, okay, well, everyone's actually talking about it. I'm talking about it too. And that's something we all can do.
0: And what have you, I think, learned, I think looking at this from a faith standpoint, what have you learned about this and maybe about your faith in, in these discussions and even to make it more personal, where do you, how do you feel that you've learned what has God shown you through all of this, um, these, these ways of, of communicating um, and, and talking with one another?
1: What, what God has shown me is that people that I used to think were my enemy are actually beloved by God as well. So it's not just I'm made in the image of God. We, all of us, are made in the image of God. And by my knowing someone who's different from me, who has a different perspective from me, really impacts how I understand my own faith. And my relationship with God has grown as a result. And seeing people whose lives have been changed because of these conversations, seeing LGBT folks suddenly realizing that they can have a relationship with God, seeing faith folks who hadn't known an LGBT person with tears streaming down their faces saying, my life is so much better now because I know LGBT folks. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things. My my life has been changed forever because of this work. And i pray that I'll be part of it. And until my journey on earth ends, because it's it's God's work in the world, I believe.
0: Yeah, it, it sounds like definitely keeping the the ministry of reconciliation, um, which yes. is something that it seems like in our society, we need more than ever.
1: Yes, that's a beautiful way to, to put it. I hadn't I hadn't framed it that way. That's a beautiful way to think about it.
0: Well, thank you. And I think um, kind of, as we kind of wrap up this discussion, what, where do you think is, where do you see hope happening right now Um, in in all of your discussions um, and probably all of your journey throughout the country, are there any specific places where you see kind of, of, of shoots of hope springing forth?
1: Well, it, youth ministry is such a big part of my heart and my life. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm really seeing hope right now. I'm seeing hope in the lives of young people who are able to be themselves, to be LGBT if that's who they are, but also to know that faith can be part of their lives and mm-hmm. and that they're claiming that. Seeing that, seeing the the new the young people who want to be in ministry. Seeing the, the young folks who realize that, okay, I can go, I can find a church that affirms who I am. I don't need to, to close that door off in my life. And then our whole society, our whole world is going to be better because of that, because of faith being accessible to more people, because every person should have the right to a relationship with God if they mm-hmm. choose. And I see that happening in real time now all around the country.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. This is, I think in a, in a time where it seems like we can't really talk with one another, there is hope in seeing um, where that is actually happening and that maybe that will be a fire that will, will spread, a fire of hope um, that can spread in our country because it, it is needed.
1: Dennis, I, I completely agree. And thank you for your interest in this work and what's happening in the world. I, I so appreciate your perspective on all of it and and your obvious love for for our entire world.
0: Well, as I've said, it's a um, personal issue on two counts for me. And so it's um, something that is important um, as an LGBT person and also as a person of faith. Um, And if we can find ways of just talking more, maybe we can actually move some things forward. Amen. I
1: completely agree.
0: All right. Well, take care. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, Dennis, thank you. Thank you. All right.
0: of how two communities that you wouldn't think could come together were able to come together and talk and make a difference in the world can give people hope. I want to thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget to visit the website at org. You can sign up to be on the mailing list of the, for the newsletter, Letters of Transit, listen to past episodes, and read some articles that I've written. And while you're at the website, you can also... Uh, make a donation the donations help to cover some of the costs associated with making this podcast a reality and it allows me to continue to produce content that i think is worth a listen you can donate uh, by going to the enroute website and uh, to the address org backslash donate well that is it for this episode of enroute a journey journeys of religion and modern life I am Dennis Sanders, your host. Take care and Godspeed.